a choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expounding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's very profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality, another very, very special episode for you guys today. So this is part two of a share cast that Jay Hennehan and I are doing with Santos Bonacci. Uh, so uh, part one is linked down in the show notes. So if you have found this and you're like, what is this part two business? Where's part one? Well, part one is over on Jay Hennehan's platform, How to Kill a Sacred Cow. It's a wonderful podcast. Jay's a good buddy of mine. So we came up with this idea to do a swap cast. So we're going to put part one is over on his linked in the bottom of these show notes and vice versa. So when you go over there, you'll link back to this one. So it's fun. It's awesome. Santos Bonacci is crazy cool, guys. If you guys know anything about him, he is fantastic. So he's a longstanding researcher, astrotheologist. He gets into um, syncretism, which is amazing. Uh, alchemy. This conversation is fascinating. So uh, enjoy the hell out of this. Um, like I said, part one is linked down in the show notes. So if you're catching this, go ahead and check part one out and then come back. Uh, and then also down there is uh, all the ways to find Jay and his show, How to Kill a Sacred Cow, as well as Santos and all of the ways to check out all of his incredible research, guys. The dude is fascinating. This is a really cool thing. So uh, also, if you would like to expand your experience with us here on the show, you can do so down in the show notes with expandingrealitypodcast.com. And uh, that's how you can find all the other stuff like socials and Rockfin and merchandise and all that good stuff's over there, guys. So uh, this has been long enough, but uh, let's get to part two of the sharecast with Jay Hennehan of How to Kill a Sacred Cow with Santos Bonacci. Every country has an official language. You go to Wikipedia and you go to Nigeria and it'll tell you population, official language. Ooh. But do the nomads in Nigeria and the tribes in the, in the, in the woods and in the hills, do they, do they know this official language? Yeah, because it's the office of the Inquisition. That's where the main office of the world is, the post office. They own it. They control officers. You don't want to be an officer or a person. You want to be a man standing on the land and hold your ground and do not be answering, swearing questions. Sorry, sir. Sorry, uh, I don't answer questions. Why don't you answer questions? I don't answer questions. What are you doing here then? I don't answer questions. No worries. All right. Before I go, uh, you got the time there? Trick. Trap. Because if you answer, then you just thwarted and forfeited all of what you just consolidated and established with the fictional officer that you don't answer questions. So why did you go and answer him when you asked for the time? Handcuffs. 
But is he jail. even is he even answering his question by saying that you don't answer questions considered engagement? No, because you have to um, you have to answer. I mean, not not answer. You have to speak because silence is considered guilty. Silence is considered no answer, and it's the same as as talking too much. You you have to know what you're doing. You have to know how this di- di- diabolical system has set up its um, rules of uh, uh, what's it called um, rules of engagement. They have their tricks and they're trained. They are trained. You'll see cops always do it. What's your name? Gives you, you got any ID? Where do you live? In my body. Now you got a house. Where do you, where do you lay your head in your bed? What's the address? They want that address. Address. Why? Because an address is an office, is a person, is a corporate fiction. I've seen a lot of these videos, these sovereign citizen videos on YouTube, and they're always spectacular. Uh, what's the origin of of this whole legal system? And when was it that people started getting wise to the fact that they could opt out of it? The roots of the legal system, you must know and understand, is ecclesiastical. It is rooted in a satanic religion, which has co-opted the Bible and um, uh, inverted its true meaning to a corporate dead sense, dead letter of the word. And so that's why they use the Bible. And then people say, oh, you, you like the Bible, Santos, do you? Oh, well, <laughs> well, it's the Freemasons put it in all of their courtrooms and it's a satanic system, therefore the Bible's satanic. No, no, neither are the courtrooms. They are all designed as churches. They have a pulpit, they have a bench, they have a... Um, a uh, cleric, which is a clerk. Well, one's religious and one's uh, secular. Uh, a clerk and a cleric, it's the same word. You see, you go for a hearing, which is a confession. They summons you. You can only summons the dead. It's not a subpoena. You, go, you, actually, <laughs> you actually go in with their copyrighted legal name and they summons you and people don't get it and they go in as a person. And they tell them their name. My name's Santo Bonacci, and I'm here to contest that in the hearing. Well, the judge is like, <laughs> we've got one right in the palm of our hand, an idiot who's come to a hearing. Only dead people and, and people who have sinned go to a hearing or dead people uh, reply to a summons. <laughs> you know, so if you just um, think about it and study it enough, you will see that it's all ecclesiastical. And this is where many, many, many have become shipwrecked and run amok in the courts because they don't understand this. They don't understand that it is an ecclesiastical foundation upon which mercantile, commercial, contract, trust, um, what they call what's the what's the word that they the sovereigns call is the the the, the law of the land. Um, geez, I can't. Um, anyway, all these laws we've heard of maritime admiralty law, mercantile. 
all of those are underpinned by ecclesiastical. So what we have is an inquisition. And when we pay um, a commercial instrument like a, a bill or a, a bill, <laughs> that's a bull, a papal bull, well, then we are just paying a, um, an indulgence. That's what we're doing. We're just putting money into the coffers of the Vatican. Everything goes back to the Vatican. Give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. You shall not give your energy to Caesar. You do not. You are sinning, signing, signing their papers. They want you to sign. You cannot get a loan. You cannot get a bond if you're in jail. You cannot do anything without signing, sinning. They want you to be a sinner and to use the devil's corporate name because the crown owns it, Kronos, Saturn, Satan, and the people who work for the crown are working for Satan, and they tell you, I'm a crown officer and I've come to uh, talk to you today. Oh, so you work for the crown, huh? Yeah. The crown. Well, what did Virgil say 2,000 years ago? Everyone knows the crown belongs to Saturn. Only Saturn can wear that crown. And that's the rings around his, that's the, that's his crown. He has been in, enthroned and he is the king of the dark world because Saturn in his negative side rules all the evil that's going on in the world. So... This is how we, we fall many times, guys, but if we learn from the scriptures, Jesus did not answer questions, he asked them. So when an officer, who you can't hear anyway, when he says, uh, what's your name, uh, what would you do? Give your name because you're scared and, you know, you just want to get out of there and, you know, make it easy on yourself and your family. You've got kids, you've got to protect them and blah, 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 and make all these excuses as to why you actually comply with their artificial, can't hear your voice, you're an officer, you're dead, speak to me in your man personal capacity, then I can hear you. Um, why, are we, why are we complying and why are we telling him? Wouldn't you rather turn around and say, uh, who wants to know? Uh, I do. Uh, who is I? Is it the I in your skull? Is it someone called I that I need to learn his name? Who is I? Me. Are you a man or are you an officer? I'm an officer. Can't hear you. Sorry, can't hear you. I'm standing on the land. I'm a man. You thought I was a person. Sorry, <laughs> you mistook me for someone else. Have I committed a crime? Am I being detained? And you see what happens. Everything just changes. The air changes because now you're like that Aboriginal who with his finger up in the air is going, get out, move, get out of this cordoned area. You're on my land. You see, go and watch the, the, um, the video. Search Aboriginals in Australia in Canberra, pitch their tents against the government and against the, and um, blah, blah, blah. You'll find hundreds of videos now because they're, they're out in full force there, man, and they're going to take the land back. Yeah, I've seen those. I've been paying very close attention to Australia. This line always bothered me. Render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and I can't figure out why the fuck it bothers me so much. What is the deal with it? Somebody's saying well, that you owe them something. That sucks. Fuck them. 
No, I mean, mm. like, the implication, right? Because Jesus is saying it, and, he, and he's saying, I don't know, is he saying don't bother with him and just give him what he wants and move on? Or is it accept, it, it, it sounds to me like accept the, the corporal authority and move on with the spiritual. What do you think, Santos? Well, in fact, in the Greek, it says give back. Give it back. It's not yours. They gave you a birth certificate, which is not yours. It's theirs. You didn't copyright it. You weren't there as a baby. Oh, in the Greek, it's give back to Caesars the things which are Caesars like give. Give it oh, back to them. Give it back. Like It's so not when, yours. So give when back they, unto Caesar what is Caesars and give unto God what is God's, which means walk with God. Apostle Peter said, we obey God as ruler and not men. And they walked out of jail okay. because a man, a man cannot stand and oppose God's laws. They know that. They know that they have to follow procedure. Anything they do wrong, yeah, how many times has someone gone to court and um, dismissed the case by saying, um, they didn't read me my rights? Dang! He knew his, he knew his, his law and the cops walk out of there. He walks out of there and laughs and the judge is going, dang, man, we could have... We could have made some money on those bonds. We you know I had a, I had a bid bond going. I had a performance bond going. That guy's got a lot of stocks on his. He's a billionaire on, on his birth uh, in Fidelity.com on his birth uh, certificate exchange on the security stock exchange. I was going to make a packet out of that fool, but now he's not so foolish. Never mind. Next idiot. And it's crazy. And the next idiot. Like those people who, uh, I, I don't know if this is an extreme case, but if something was found in evidence later and uh, like it's it's the guy who's on trial is about to get off, they're, they're almost done with it. And it's a video of him shooting the person in the head that they said that he killed, but they're like, nah, it's not admissible because you didn't do it the right way. Uh, jury, please just forget everything that you just saw. And then they have to let him walk based on the evidence or the rules. It's, it's very interesting. I have thought about this though. Then the same thing about the reading the right stuff. I'm like, these loopholes are just so weird. You're just like, uh, you know, you touch your nose or something, you're like purple. And they're like, ah, you did the thing. We got to let him go. All right, get on out of here. It's just odd. You know what I mean? It's like there's this this language. You've, you've nailed it with this. Yeah. So you have to know what you're doing because a little bit of information, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. You have to have extensive knowledge, right, to be able to deal with these criminals. And um, you have to know their tricks. And that's why the policeman always follows procedure because he, the worst thing he can do is bring a case to court and he hasn't followed procedure and the case gets dismissed and everybody loses out because they're all licking their lips, waiting for you to fall into all of their traps. And then they can go and make money on the, on the stock exchange and they've got money, the prosecutor gets money, the, the judges, the clerics, everybody's in on it and they all get their little bit. And they're all happy and they're all rich and living in their mansions and driving their Ferraris. And on the back of law, nah, legal. They are legal bandits. They are not lawful men. This is why Jesus said, woe unto you lawyers and how you bind these little children of mine with heavy burdens. It would be better for you to have tied a millstone around your neck and cast yourself into the sea than to stumble one of these little children so as to not enter into the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> you will not enter. <coughs> you will not enter. Now, Jesus wasn't um, cursing law because he said, I came to fulfill the law. He was a lawful individual. 
in, in the literary scriptures, and it wasn't historical at all, but in that role of Jesus in the scriptures, he's actually a lawful individual rebuking the lawyers. He says, woe unto the lawyers, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Woe, all those, always those four. Well, the Sadducees, the scribes are the, um, the, the writers of indulgences. They are called notaries. There's the scribes. The Sadducees are the, the sad, you see, judges because they, they are criminals, so they are sad, you see. And the Pharisees, they are the lawyers. And the, um, or the prosecutors and the lawyers, of course, are the, the legalese um, people who work for the Crown. So all of these are covered in the courtroom, <clears throat> the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the lawyers, which were condemned by God's son, which means all of them are condemned. If they don't follow procedure, they know that if they do something against your sovereign will, when you do not enter their jurisdiction, the curse that they put on you and the harm they do to you will be magnified a thousandfold forever in hell. So they don't want that because they've been there already. They've come out of there and they're trying to make good, keep their power because they know all the tricks. They've been down to hell. They've, they've learned all the devil's tricks and they've incarnated back onto this realm. <clears throat> they're using the same tricks because that's old tricks, old dogs. And But they're trying to do it so as, you know, they put out legal waivers and disclaimers and, and they actually legally make themselves less culpable. But nonetheless, that, their judgment, I mean, they might say spare themselves from a thousandfold curse, but they will get a hundred minimum. They're stupid. They, they don't realise that they're falling into the same trap and they think that, legal disclosures and disclaimers and procedures are going to save them by using those same old tricks. You never use evil tricks and polish up a turd. That's right. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you a question about about this whole thing about influence. So this is one of the things that we talk about when we talk about like predictive programming um, and that the powers that be, the good, the dark and the light, the heavier, the less dense energies here, the dichotomy here, this, you know, dualistic universe that we live in, right? This, there's obvious energies. But it seems to what you said and to what you said earlier about Jesus uh, saying that he had to speak in metaphors and that he couldn't just say what was going on, it alludes to that that's perhaps a lighter, less dense energy or high vibrational being that follows the same rules and constructs as the dark side of the lizard turds, as we like to call them. Because what we say about and why predictive programming comes into play with this is that they have to influence you. It's like a vampire. You have to invite it in. No one's going to force you down and hold you down and like take you to some camp. You've got to voluntarily go. Like it's, it's on a voluntary basis. So it sounds like though Jesus did the same thing by speaking in parables, as you put it, because it can, it can only influence, it can't directly affect. And then same with the darker, the more dense energies. They can't tell you what they could tell you. They could build a, a world of illusion for you, and uh, it's up to you to kind of figure out how it works. But it's some of it's all in plain sight. But it's interesting how th there's nothing really scary here. That it's ultimately up to you. But that because yeah, we are all sovereign in in the best way possible. It's just that you get programmed and tricked, and that's kind of what it boils down to, right? 
Yeah, you can't save anyone. They have to save themselves or accept salvation. Like you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. These are the laws that you can't break. So Jesus wasn't telling anybody what to do. He was making suggestions. He was teaching, you know, in uh, indirectly, uh, speaking into the, into the air. Um, you know, whenever the disciples of Jesus saw him, it was an appearance. And Jesus appeared unto the 500. And Jesus appeared to Thomas Didymus, who doubted. And Jesus appeared, and Jesus appeared, and Jesus appeared. Well, that shows you that he wasn't historical and real. It was an appearance. It was a transcendental appearance. So, you know, what that means is that people saw him, not with these eyes. He appeared unto them who believed. You see, because he wouldn't appear to the people that are blind. They're, they're looking, where is he? Because they're literally blind physically. But spiritually blind people still can't. Remember, he said to the Pharisees, because you say that you can see, and that you do understand, I claim, I, I tell you that, that you cannot see and that you are from the devil because you say that you can see, because you can't. They said, we can see, we, we understand. The, they were standing there in front of him saying, we, we do understand it. And he said, well, because you say that, now I know that, you know, you've condemned yourself even more. You should be humble and say, yeah, we don't get it. We don't see it. Can you teach us? Like the humble apostle said, Jesus, can you give us more faith? <coughs> because they realise they have to invite that in. We, um, no one can force that on them. No one can force spirituality. No one can convert you. No one can save you. No one can steal your soul. It's prohibited. The law protects you. The, the universe has protected you already in many ways. Yeah, and you can't. You, they can't. You, it's a great point you made earlier. They can't just put you in a camp. You have to participate in the system every single step of the way. You have to accept the illusion. You have to accept the premises of the game. You have to play the game. You can't break the rule. And it's when you break the rules of the new game that they invite you to the camp. And and this is what I've always loved about Jesus is that is just one hard son of a bitch. Yeah, like this guy. He was going up against the kings, the Pharisees, Sadducees, like the way that you laid it out. I had never made the connection that he was railing against law. Well, uh, the practice of law and the subversion of law and God's law. And he was also railing against the bankers, the money changers at the temple. You know, so he was literally you know, flip, flip the temple, flipping tables right, and shit. Flipping the table. You know what I mean? And I was surprised he didn't DT, DDT guy yeah. to the table also. <laughs> the people's you know, elbow. And, and, and yeah, so he was, he was railing against the whole system and he was just he was and he had to convince people to just see what was in front of them yeah he yep. gave people back to themselves that's the whole point he, he was here to show people that they never needed to be saved it's it's amazing it's a beautiful thing and it's so cool fuck yeah yeah yeah, it's reading the scriptures is the best thing you can do for yourself. Do yourself a favor and sit there one quiet day and spend a couple of hours with the Bible in your hands and you'll do yourself a blessed, blessed favor. It is a, um, it's not a church book at all. It's, it's totally a transcendental, a spiritual, mystical book, which only reveals its precious secrets to those who have good hearts and eyes to see and ears to hear. It's only for those people who want to see those layers, who are, you know, who are, um, have an urgent 
um, calling for it. And it, it will only come to you uh, in certain moments of, of your life, you know. Um, it's not always there. That energy is not always knocking at your door. Remember Jesus said, when I, you hear me knocking at your door open and I will have an evening meal with you, if you don't open, you'll miss out. Mm-hmm. And the Lord will just whisk by. So it's those moments when you feel that urge to be spiritual. It's like, you know, when you have a sexual urge. What do you do? Um, you know, you, you go over and see what your partner's doing. You know, well, hey, what are you doing, sweetie? Um, you know, and I'm feeling romantic. Well, you, you, what happens when you're hungry? You know, you're out in the, working in the garden and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to faint. And there's an urge. I've got to eat. You run inside and you grab an apple, you a la Homer Simpson, and you satisfy that urge. Well, why not satisfy the spiritual urge? We do sexual, we do body, bodily urges, sleeping, I'm tired, you go to sleep. But people never seem to find time in the day to meditate, read the Bible, read some philosophical poetry, you know, uh, uh, Rumi or something nice, you know, uh, Kipling. or There's much to exercise the mind and the spirit and the soul. And uh, unfortunately, um, as Jesus said, raise your head and see that the harvest is rich and but the workers are few to bring in the harvest. And then he said another time, he says, I feel pity for these crowds who are skinned and torn and thrown about like sheep without a shepherd. But they do it to themselves. They turn the TV on and fall asleep in front of the TV. They wake up, go to work, eating, pooing, sleeping, drinking. That's it. The four activities of man, sleeping, eating, pooing, banging, Banging. weeing, and then they wonder why they're not happy. They're committing suicide. They're depressed. They're still, but they still keep up with the Joneses somehow. They've still got my four SUVs and a motorbike and a helicopter, swimming pool. Tennis court and uh, speedboat. But tomorrow you read the newspaper and he's committed suicide. Oh, that guy who had all the houses and the oh, well, Shane dibs on the speedboat. Yeah. And there's you thinking, uh, I'm keeping up with him. Woo. But do you think people stop and think, oh, God, uh, maybe that's. That's what I'm doing. They don't see the connection. You're doing the same thing. You're killing yourself to live. It makes no sense. I've never been a chaser of material things. I bought a house once in my first marriage because she was a traditional Jehovah's Witness Italian and the parents wanted me to be stable and everything. And no, I, I had the money. I was doing good money. Um, and so I thought, all right, well, I'll put a deposit on the house and get a house. It didn't work for me. It just, I was, I raised my son and it just didn't work. It's like, I've got this house. I don't want this house. I'd rather live in someone else's house and let the landlord worry about all the expenses. I've got to fix this. I've got to fix that. I've got to, no, I don't want a house. It's stupidity. And so that's, that's been me. I've only ever, ever had one car. I've never had more than one motor vehicle. I've never had possessions. I've got my guitar, I've got my spiritual books, my computer. That's all I need. I'm happy. 
Yeah, I was surprised we'd, we'd gone the whole interview without mentioning music at all, since the three of us are musicians. <laughs> yeah, strange. I noticed, right I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of music, also, you had spoken about Led Zeppelin earlier. I got a Led Zeppelin question. How much does the bass pedal in Since I've Been Loving You on Zeppelin 4 bother you? <laughs> squeak, squeak, you know, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, squeak, 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 squeak. Can you but imagine that? that? Like, uh, so like, I'm a music, I'm a, I'm a fucking perfectionist. If I'm in the studio, I don't listen to a take and go, damn, that was a good take. But you know, that one thing that's bothered, I wouldn't keep the take. Who no. would keep the take? It wasn't that, that, it wasn't that great of a, you know what I mean? I mean, John Bonham is, is amazing. Yeah. I'm sure he could have done it again. I'm sure someone would have been like, hey, go to the corner store, grab some WD-40 and let's get the you know, fucking do it again. What producer in his right mind would go, bet. Ah, we're talking about the genius Jimmy Page who produced Led Zeppelin. Aha, that's the secret. Exactly. Every song of Led Zeppelin's was real. It was that the music is so real so natural and magnetic. It has a mystical pull, a transcendental urgency about it like no other band. This band was head and shoulders above all the rest line them up, all the great bands, Pink Floyd, uh, you know, all these great bands, the Beatles, the Stones, I love them all. I'm right into them all. American music, Dylan, I was into Fleetwood Mac, Tim Buckley, Neil Young. All of the greats, but nothing satisfied me. Like one bar of Led Zeppelin was like listening to a bar, a whole album of Neil Young in terms of instant gratification and sensational um, fulfilment. One bar of Led Zeppelin is enough. I, I listen to them every day. I fall, I actually, um, because there's dogs barking here and they, they, I'm a light sleeper and, and when I hear that, <laughs> If I haven't got earplugs, I'm up and I'll be insomniac for the rest of the night because I'm angry at this dog. So I've got Led Zeppelin at half volume on my computer every single night. When I wake up to go to the bathroom, there's cashmere in the background. So I go to the bathroom, cashmere is there, I go straight back to bed, sleep straight away. They nurse me. They make, they make me feel like a mother, I'm wrapped in the mother's arms. They, they fulfill me. They nourish me. Their music is nourishing. How does that happen? I don't know. But they had it. They had the, the gift that no other band could possibly even achieve, although every single band tried to mimic them and tried to replicate what they had. But like Broken Mirrors, they all failed, in my opinion, all of them. Yeah, what's that band that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin? Veta, uh, Veta Gre Greta Von Fleek. Greta Von Fleek. Yeah, 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 this, yeah they're no, pretty they're, good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah they're pretty good, but I mean, like, you can't just do like you have to announce yourself as a Led Zeppelin cover band. You know what I mean? You can't just no, do what they're they original. Do. They're unique. Uh, they are their <laughs> own, and nothing has ever sounded like that ever. Yeah, yeah, unrepeatable. Yeah. But I I'm feel, gonna, you know I, what though? I feel a very similar way about about the the jazz greats. You know what I mean? Like Miles Davis, John oh, Coltrane. Yeah. Thelonious Monk has an album called Thelonious Alone in San Francisco. Yeah. He was supposed yeah. to be playing with his band that day, but something fell through, and he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna do it." That is like. I can't, and you can hear him humming the whole time, which you can mm -hmm. never hear during the uh, during the regular recordings because the rest of the band's playing. And it's just like there's nothing like that. You know what I mean? Hearing Ruby, yeah. you know what like, I mean? Like, 
like there's some magical albums like hotel california is just absolutely magical tim buckley's greetings from la magical neil young's um uh rust never um um god i can't remember uh, harvest is my favorite of neil young's but the rust one is most people's favorite but harvest for me was like perfect perfect album but then you go listen to their, their other ones and there's just then it falls that that magic falls there are some gems of albums like there's some albums out there that are just amazing written in the skies written in the skies indelibly forever albums but led zeppelin did that all the time in every song in every bar how how could they sustain that quality and be mortal you know i just don't get it well i do when you know astrology and you realize for instance Jimmy Page is black, he's Capricorn, ruled by Sat Saturn, black. Uh, Leo, Robert Plant, golden-maned singer, is a Leo, ruled by the sun. Now, the sun is Horus and Saturn is Set. Well, it's the Horus and Set show right there. And, and the drummer is a what? Is a Gemini. John bon Bonzo was a Gemini. Well, the Gemini rules the arms and the hands. And then Jonesy was a Capricorn as well. Solid, solid bass player, solid keyboard. You know, they just the alchemy, astrologically perfect. Yeah, there was uh, one configuration of my band um, that we just had. I, I don't even like the drummer that we have now is absolutely incredible. But there was something about the particular configuration that I'm talking about that there was some type of stupid magic there. And I'm a Gemini. The bassist is a Scorpio. The guitarist is a Capricorn. And the uh, and the uh, the drummer was a Sagittarius. We had one of each element like and it, it was just there was something in the room. You know what I mean? Like there was a, it was like a, a, a switch would flip when the four of us would play. And it was really, that's, I never knew that about Led Zeppelin, though. I never put that together. Yeah. If you look at their charts and know what you're doing when navigating through the, um, the science of electromagnetism, you'll see that their electromagnetic constitution, astrologically, is perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And that's what every other band used to say in the 70s. I remember I used to go collecting the, um, all the writings about Led Zeppelin from other bands and the Who members and the, the Beatles and all these other bands would come out and just say, well, we always listened to Led Zeppelin and thought, wow, these guys had something that other bands don't have. Even the band members themselves were, were cringing every time Led Zeppelin released an album and thought, how can we keep up with these guys? They're just running rings around all of us. Everyone else was like in the shadows looking up and grabbing Led Zeppelin's albums and listen to him and going, whoa, all right, <laughs> okay, it's all over. Mm -hmm. They just had it. It was bestowed upon them to have the greatest musical experience by the gods, by the universe, by old man time, and that's how it is. I can't change it. No one can. They were a phenomena that came and, um, and left us quickly in 1980 when Bonzo died. Broke my heart. I was only, jeez, um, I was 17. Mm. Oof. Shattered me. And then John Lennon died four months later in 1980, same year, the two Johns that were, were my great inspirations. And John Lennon gets, gets killed in December. Bonzo in September, you know, in, Ver in uh, Libra, and then uh, uh, Lennon in uh, Sagittarius in December, and that was it. It was just... 
was all over. The 80s for me was the end of music and then I didn't listen to anything from the 80s. I just, there was nothing that appealed to me, nor did the 90s, a little bit here and there, but I wasn't, I was still going back to the 70s because the golden age of music was from 69 to 75 period. I would say right now though, music is truly uh, going through an amazing renaissance. And it's one that most people, well, they don't recognize for some reason or another, like the jazz, the funk, the mumble uh, rap. Yeah. Yeah. Mumble rap. Yeah. Good call, dude. No, but yep. I mean, but I, I'm telling you, like, uh, the, especially the, um, the Americana, the folk, the country, it is mm. back and it is good. And it's, um, I, I get a little heartbroken when someone says, ah, fucking music's dead. Music's a bunch of trash. I'm like, what no. you don't have Spotify? Like what the yeah, hell is going on? Yeah. And it's because of the proliferation of just how easy it is to make music at a high quality, sitting in your pajamas at home, screwing around with Pro Tools, and um, the ease with which you can put it up online. And prior to 2020, um, the the new model that had uh, emerged with regards to you could go on tour, you could live off a of t-shirt sales, you could live, you know what I mean, like. Yep. And so that's, it's, I absolutely love it. Like Julian Lage is a, he's a jazz guitarist. I just saw a couple of months ago. No, back in December, friggin' incredible. You know what I mean? And he's, he's a, a good example of, of the new era of jazz and of music generally, I think. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Some of the musicians kicking around now. Very, very impressive. I get, I get impressed because I haven't been professional for nine years now and I've lost my touch and, and I see these flamenco guitarists just running rings around me and I go, whoa. The 16-year-old flamenco guitarist. And you're I like, lose my breath. What the fuck? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> wow. What these kids can do. It's like they've been playing it for millions of lives and they just come on the scene, 12 years old, pick up guitar and speak yeah. it. And then, say, and then you say like how did you how did you learn that well, i saw a few videos on youtube yeah it's like shut up mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's incredible yeah good on him yeah well, for sure good, good on him yeah well dude this has been amazing like i i just have one more question for you if you don't mind uh i i do jay if you had something else but i want to know um what you think the moon is <laughs> i um know for a certainty that the moon is not a rock because uh, we would see it pass in front of the sun every 27, 28 days at the new moon. And for some strange reason, it disappears for 60 hours. It just jumps out of the sky. And you, at midday, you look at the sun and you're looking for the moon because it's, it's there. But where is it? Well, it's disappeared, hasn't it? Because it's a luminous body. The light of the sun cancels out the moon's sun. The astrologers were saying thousands of years ago that when anything comes, when any luminous wandering star comes within 15 degrees of the sun, it is burnt or comes under the rays of the sun, hence invisible. What happens to the stars when the sun comes up in the morning? They fly. They're gone. You can't see the stars. They're there. They're still there. And right now the sun's in Capricorn. Well, at midday, if you look for Capricorn behind the sun, you won't see those stars there. Why? Because the sun has burnt the whole sky. The sun dominates the world and it says, you shall flee from my presence. I'm the king and lord. And whenever the moon comes near it, it disappears for 60 days. That's why the Muslims always celebrate, look for the new moon. And as soon as they see that seven degrees illumination of the crescent of the moon, they stop their fasting and they rejoice. Ah, oh, 
the king is resurrected again. That's the Christ dying in the tomb for three days and then being resurrected. It's, it's, it happens every month. Oh. So cool. I need it's a luminous answer. body. And how, how, do we, how, do we, how can we know by doing research, say, on Wikipedia? All right, well, uh, <clears throat> all, for all the non-believers out there who are having a laugh and thinking, ah, ha, ha, the astronauts landed on, it's a rock, Santos. <coughs> well, can they land on Saturn? Because in Wikipedia it says Saturn is a gas giant. Jupiter is a gas giant made of hydrogen and helium. Well, good luck if you're going to go and land on Saturn on, a, on, on some hydrogen gas up there and good luck to you because the moon is no different. When I get my, my camera and zoom in on Venus, Mars, they're not terrestrial. They're flickering lights. They are sonoluminescent archangelic beings. The sun is made of hydrogen, <clears throat> 70%, 20% helium. It's gas. Eric Dollard says the, gas, the sun is cold and it's empty inside, entirely cold and empty. There's nothing inside that what you see as the face of the sun. Behind that is nothing. And the only heat possible is in the arcing of the solar arcs. But apart from that, the sun is entirely cold. Uh, John Lear talked about this. His dad invented the Learjet, and he's big into ufology. He was best friends with Bob Lazar, probably still is, but he talked about this, that it was more of an electromagnetic um, luminary, that it wasn't uh, hot to the touch. It was just electromagnetic, and therefore it reacted, and that's why we get warmth and all of that stuff. But it was fascinating. I, I love that kind of concept. I love that. And especially when you look at the moon, and Jane and I were kind of chatting about it a little bit before here, about how you know it doesn't reflect like a sphere. You know, And I've heard you speak about this. So, of course, uh, it, you know it's a flat edge. It reflects all of the light evenly, or like you can see blue through the craters uh, and if it's out during the day. Like There are so many anomalous <laughs> things with it, and how it lines up perfectly perfectly with the sun, like mathematically, you know, our, uh, our planet size, you know, allegedly couldn't catch something that big and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's really, really interesting. And then when you look at the work of like Alex Coyer and folks who look at the hollow moon, uh, where it's a hollowed out planetoid that was brought here because there are ancient cultures, several of them, um, independent of each other that have written about time before the moon was here. And it wasn't an allegory. It wasn't a metaphor. Um, it was talking about that they remember the moon being brought here. And there's several cultures talking about that. It's pretty so, interesting. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of mysteries that we don't know. But if we, um, if we keep our minds and hearts open, we will see that the sun and the moon and the stars, they cannot be understood with a material mundane mind. They are transcendental. We are mundane. They escape time and space like the rainbow. You see a rainbow there and you say, well, it's there. I can see it. Well, it's not there. There's nothing there. It's a projection. It appears. It appears to be there, but it's not there. It really is not there. It's just an appearance. It's a projection. It's a phenomena of light which is substanceless and that's that's essentially what the sun is reacting with hydrogen in the hydrogen canopy called the firmament and therefore they say oh it's made of hydrogen well maybe yes uh, you know some some kind of plasma is happening there but the the sun is pulsing it's it's pulsing at such a fast rate and so is our heart about two million times a second there's a pulse to both of them and they're in sync with each other and um, 
we can't see the sun switching on and off. It's that fast, but it's a pulse. It's a pulsating orb, which means it is magnetic because electricity doesn't pulse. Electricity is a waveform. So the sun defies the electrical uh, um, uh, definition or designation. It defies that. It's, it produces as a secondary effect the electrical wave because it's the field perturbator. It perturbs the field with its pulsing and the field gets agitated and all the neon and argon in the, in the, under the dome becomes light. That's why the light is even in, in the it's, – it's not rays making more light here and then darkness over there. The sun's light is absolutely um, incoherent all over the earth. It's like, a, it's like a, a cloak threaded through the heavens and there's no breaks in the thread. How can that be? Because it's a field perturbator. It perturbs all the field at once and none of the field is ripped and torn and therefore as a gas fills a room, every corner of the room, it just fills everywhere you go in the room, you can smell that gas because it just, it just like water, when you put it in a, in a crooked cup, the water is now crooked. But this doesn't mean the water's crooked. It's just that the water fills that cup because that's how nature is. So the sun fills this space with light. And there's no emptiness in light. Does this guy know how to party or what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Santos Fenacci, man, dude. What a badass, yeah. man. This has been amazing. This has been absolutely yep. incredible. Uh, just yeah, yep. Santos. I, I really do want to thank you for coming on, man. This was freaking awesome. Fuck I thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me, guys. Fuck it's yeah. nice to uh, be able to speak um, where people can relate to what you're saying <clears throat> with an open mind and an open heart and just and, – and they can – can understand what is not easily understandable to the layman or the the busy individual who's very very uh, mundane and you know automaton ish sonambulant robotic. You know, there's more to humans than than working, eating, sleeping, and and this mundane stuff, man. Let's rejoice in music. Let's make great music. Let's make Great theology, astrology. Let's learn the nature of this universe, which is electromagnetism. Let's be masters and magi of this great, great Holy Spirit of God, electromagnetism. Beautiful. Dude, mm -hmm. I, I think that's going to cap it, man. Thank you guys so much uh, for listening. Thank you so much, Santos. Jay, you're a badass, sure. dude. Thank you. Thanks, Thank guys. You I mean, how freaking crazy cool is that? Uh, Jay and I uh, stayed on the meeting for probably another half hour just nerding out on how awesome that dude was and how cool this is. So I'm grateful to Jay Hennehan first and foremost for doing this. And this has been a lot of fun. That guy is incredible, guys. Please go check out his show. It is linked down in the show notes for sure. Uh, like I said, good buddy. Uh, I've been on there. He's been on here. He's family. And y'all know how this works. So very, very excited and grateful to Jay for doing this uh also thankful to santos for his time so santos Minacci, brother man i've uh, been a fan for a long time and this was so cool getting to sit down to speak with you and uh just a lot of fun so thanks again all the ways to find santos will be linked down in the show notes and lastly uh if you would like to expand your experience with us here on the show do that at expandingrealitypodcast.com that is also linked down in the show notes we've got it all figured out uh, go out into this beautiful place uh, this week, guys, and y'all pick up a piece of litter, buy somebody in line around you a coffee or a meal or something like that. Something simple. Send them dope-ass ripple waves out. 
Uh, go also and just be nice to every animal, lizard person, uh, human, everybody that you come across. Open door, smile. You know that stuff is not dead. Just try it out. It's, it's not a bad deal. Um, also, uh, get out of the left-hand lane, of course, if you've got somebody behind you wanting to pass. And above all and anything else, guys, go out into this beautiful place, whatever the hell it is, and y'all just be good to one another. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 